Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. I'm so glad you're here. I'm fired up. We are walking through the book of Philippians, and I just got to tell you, I'm having, a, I'm having more fun than a barrel of monkeys. And the thought, you are a barrel monk, as you'd be right. Now, I was telling Miss Pam the other day, just saying, you know, she was talking about this series and just learning a lot. And I said, you know, I, I've never done this before. I mean, I've preached through books, but like I would take the book of Philippians and do a week per chapter. We're on the fifth week of chapter two. So I'm just kind of slowly, just kind of walking through this. And I love it. And I, and I, I hope you do. Some of you are like, no, I'm here because mama said. I totally understand that. I love mama. All right. We're just walking through the book of Philippians. And I'm just going to tell you, Today's one of those Sundays, like, you're probably not going to cry. It's not life-changing. It's just, it's when you let the text preach the text. Because that's the temptation of, like, preaching through a book. So, okay, well, um, Philippians chapter 1, it has one really powerful verse. I'll just say we're preaching through Philippians, but I'm anchoring on this verse. And I really have. I've just kind of tried to slow down and go big concept by big concept by big concept by big concept. Today, not even really talking about a concept, talking about a person. That Paul takes time to pause, stop, and recognize and I want to look at his life. I want to look at why did Paul say so much good stuff about this person and what can my life learn from him? So we started this journey nine weeks ago in those first couple of Sundays. I talked about who the Philippians were, not to be confused with the Philippines. That's over in Asia. The Philippi was a city in southern Greece. It's just kind of ruins today. And Paul, when he was writing... Paul spent two separate stints or stays in Roman prison. His first stay in Roman prison was actually very lax. He was under what they call house arrest. So he was actually, most believe, in a home. He just had to have a guard with him all the time. But people could come see him and bring him food. And I envision that a lot of times Paul was just kind of sitting sometimes in a room with three, four, five people. Can't say they were doing Bible study because the Bible didn't, wasn't actually canonized or put together until hundreds of years later. But Paul was just talking about Jesus. And he was just talking about basically doing a Bible study just without a Bible. So it was just kind of a study. But Paul's discipling and he's leading and he's investing in people. His second stay in prison in Rome wasn't so pretty. And actually, if you go to Rome, you can see there is a jail cell. It's a dark, damp, cold place that he didn't have those same freedoms. He didn't have that opportunity. And, and so that was actually a little bit more brutal. Most people believe that the book of Philippians was written in the first stay when he was under house arrest and had some of those freedoms, okay? So we're gonna jump in. Philippians chapter two, verse 19. If you have your Bible, you can open up there. If you don't, don't worry. We'll put it up on the screen. And uh, if you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, here we go. The Lord Jesus is willing. I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Christ or Jesus Christ. Verse 22, but now, but you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served me in preaching the good news. Verse 23, I hope to send to him, send him to you just as soon as I find out what's gonna happen to me here in Rome, in prison. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will see you soon. So Paul brings up this character who 
honestly becomes one of the more well-known characters of the New Testament, specifically in Paul's writings and in Paul's life. It's a young man that Paul discipled, kind of trained spiritually and helped him grow, kind of just locked arms with him and invested in him, a young man by the name of Timothy. And throughout this study of Philippians, where Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, we've referenced in the book of Acts chapter 16 a lot because the book of Acts chapter 16 tells the story of when Paul first went to the European continent, when he first goes to Philippi. So he had been in the Middle East, or what we call Asia Minor. And when I say Asia, and for years it was confusing to me because when I would hear Asia, I would think China and Taiwan. <clears throat> but that's not it. The word Asia, the, the Greek word for it, actually means resurrection or rising. Okay, so you can tell by this map, if you were in Italy, or you see there on the map where it says Thessalonica, right? If I'm in Greece, and I look across the Aegean Sea, that's where the sun would rise. The sun would rise out of the east. So when you say Asia, they were actually saying over there, the land of the rising sun. That's where the sun resurrected. So I, I know that gets confusing when you talk about Asia. It's not Asia in the Orient. It's the Roman province of rising sun. And so Paul had been there. He felt like God was closing those doors. Don't know if you've ever been there. I have. I felt like, man, we've been here. We've done this. But, but God's got something different for us. And so doors start closing. One night he has a dream. He has a vision. And we call that the man from Macedonia. So Paul has this kind of dream where someone over in Greece or Macedonia is saying, come help us. So Paul and his companions get on a boat. They cross the Aegean Sea. And now for the first time, the gospel crosses over into the European continent. That's important to you and I because our ancestors, most of them came from Europe. You know, I don't know if you had people come over from the Mayflower or whatever, but my kinfolk are German and Germany's in Europe. And so when Paul crossed over the European or cross over into Europe, that's important for a lot of people. The gospel now reached a whole new continent. And while Paul's over there, he gets on this highway of sorts. It's called the Via Ignatia or Via Geisha or whatever. Okay? And so it was built by the Romans for military purposes so they could move large number of troops. They could lose, move supply and equipment and they could move it quickly. Well, obviously it also benefited trade because now you opened up trade routes. So it goes from what's now modern-day Albania all the way to what's modern-day Istanbul, right there, end of the Black Sea. So on the Via Ignatia, or the way, Ignatian Way, there's a town called Philippi. And Acts chapter 16 talks about Paul landing in Philippi. But Acts chapter 16, before he gets to Philippi, before he crosses over into the European continent, tells about meeting some folks. And he talks about meeting a young Jewish woman and her mother and their son, Timothy, who then joins in with Paul and goes along with him. <clears throat> we have two books in our Bible named after Timothy, not because Timothy wrote them, he didn't even contribute to them, because he was away from Paul when Paul wrote them. They're named after the guy they were written to. So Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, thus we have First and Second Timothy. We also think that 2 Timothy, that letter, is the last written record that we have from Paul. He wrote it just before his death, all right? So in Philippians chapter two, we find ourselves today 
Paul's getting ready to see, send his trusted companion, this young man he's discipled, he picked up along the way. He's sending Timothy back to Philippi so he can kind of check on them and see how things are going. In this passage, he basically says, Timothy, he's something pretty special. He says he's one of a kind. He says, I have no one else like Timothy. Matter of fact, the title of today's message is just one of a kind. So before we jump into Timothy's uncommon character, what it was about Paul saw in him that made him special and, and would actually send him on to Ephesus to pastor the church in Ephesus. What is it about Timothy that was so unique? Before we get there, I want to talk about just some stuff we do know about Timothy. Number one, we know he was raised by his Jewish mother. Her name was Eunice and his Jewish grandmother, Lois. His dad was Greek, so he's half Jew, he's half Greek. We don't ever really hear of dad. We don't think him to be in the picture. We think Timothy was raised by his mom and his grandmother, all right? And Lewis, uh, excuse me, Lois and Eunice would go on to be pillars of the church, women of great faith in the city where they're from. Secondly, we know that Timothy wrestled a little bit with health issues, okay? Church history, not in the Bible, but church history sort of paints Timothy with this, he struggled with ailments, okay? He just sometimes weak at times. And in, in scripture mentions, he has digestive issues, okay? He apparently came to our chili cook-off on Wednesday night. That's fine, right? The Catholics actually made him the patron saint. And so what they would do is somebody that kind of they're known for, they would make them a saint. And there's a variety of different saints that are known for things. Well, Timothy is the patron saint of stomach indigestive disorders. Imagine if you're Timothy, really? Really, that's what I'm gonna be known for. Not the fact that I took the Ephesus church to over 3,000 people. I'm your boy for indigestion. I'm your boy for when, never mind, right? That, but that, he, he can have it out with him later, right? So in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he gives him a little bit of medical advice. Everybody say, I love BK. So if you're new, that means what I'm about to say could be harsh, could be disagreed upon. And so if, if you, if you want to send me an email, uh, that email address is christomlin at gmail.com. That's fine, right? So you said I love you. So in first, this is the word of God preaching right here. It's not me. First Timothy 5.23, it's not a very good Baptist verse, right? So Paul tells Timothy, don't, only, don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often, okay? You know how to keep a Baptist from drinking all your beer when you're taking fishing? Take two. You take one, he's gonna drink it all. If you take two, neither one of them will touch it, right? So we don't really know what ailed. That was funny. I don't know. Was... It's an old one. You've heard it. We don't really know what caused his, you know, maybe he had issues with gluten. I don't know. Um, we don't really know what ailed him, but Paul says, hey, you got stomach issues, so drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. So it could be A, the wine helped his digestive system, or B, if you drink enough, you don't care. See, first service didn't even laugh at that. They're like, that's not even funny. I don't... Get the kids, let's go. I don't even know if I can say that, but I did. ChrisTomlinGmail.com, that'll be where you go. Okay, so here we go. And then, and then lastly, Timothy was a warrior. We gather that just from how Paul addressed him in his letters, on a couple of occasions, Paul kind of comes at this, one of the more famous ones is found in 2 Timothy 1.7. 
that Timothy's just a worrier, and, and he gives this powerful verse that I've used, you've used, I'm so grateful. So it could be one of those things that maybe Timothy struggled, God spoke to him through Paul through that, but, but maybe through Timothy's struggle, God was able to speak to us as well. So maybe your struggle is something that God is using not only to speak to you, but maybe to speak to those around you. That's free, wasn't even in the notes. Just boom, right there, the Holy Spirit gave me that. Paul tells him this, he says, listen, for God's not given us a spirit of fear. So Timothy, I know you're a worrier. I know you kind of stay stressed out more. Some people just have bold personalities. Some people can just step into moments, they're not afraid of it, they're not scared of it. And then there's other people that have a tendency to be more like piglet of a Winnie the Pooh. And they just worry and they stress. And I think Timothy was probably more like piglet. And there's a beautiful verse that, that Paul wrote to Timothy that has encouraged Christians for centuries that, hey, God don't want you to live in fear. God didn't give you that spirit of fear. God's given you a spirit of power. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you of love and, and have a sound mind where you have control of your thoughts, your, your worries and anxieties. They don't have to own you. God wants to empower you to beat that. Amen, everybody? And so Timothy was just a little bit, was a little bit of a warrior. Timothy traveled with Paul. But he also traveled for Paul to go check on churches. In 64 AD, church history tells us that Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to kind of pastor that church. Ephesus is an important church. We have a book in the Bible named Ephesians. That's who it was written to. It was written to the Christians at Ephesus. Church history tells us Timothy grew that church to over 3,000 people. Now that brother apparently could preach. Maybe it was the music, I don't know. In both letters, to Timothy that Paul wrote, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Paul describes him as a son of the faith, a son in the faith. So, so Paul very much had a father, a spiritual father role, very much a spiritual mentor. 1 Timothy 1, 2, I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. There is a book we believe was written in the fifth century, okay, there, there was some attempts early on for people to pretend like Timothy actually wrote it and try to get it in the Bible, but it, it's not included in the scripture, the canon of scripture, but it's called the Acts of Timothy. And in that book, it describes how Timothy died in Ephesus. It says in the year 97 AD, when Timothy was 80 years old, and he was the pastor or the bishop of the church, he actually was trying to stop a parade or a procession that was there to honor the goddess, the Greek goddess Diana. And he goes out and tries to stop the procession. And hey, while you're here, he preaches the gospel to them. Well, well, the pagans didn't really like that. They didn't care for that. And so actually they drug him through the streets. And at the age of 80, he was stoned to death. But we celebrate once who had a spirit of timidity, a guy that clearly had a spirit of boldness. Paul says, I have no one like him. Timothy truly was one of a kind. The book of Hebrew tells us at one point that Timothy had been in prison. So what is it about Timothy that was so special? Why did Paul trust him and leave him in Ephesus? Why did Paul trust him to go check on other churches or even disciple other Christians? And Philippians chapter two hints at three of those, what I call uncommon characteristics. I have no one like him. Of all the people Paul thanked and commended. Paul says, I have no one like him. Verse 19, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me that you guys are doing awesome, getting along great. Verse 20, 
I have no one else like Timothy. And here's the first characteristic I want to see. Who genuinely cares for you. The first word that popped off me was, was genuine. Timothy was genuine. Matter of fact, when Paul writes about Timothy, he uses the word genuine on multiple occasions. The word in the Greek for genuine that he uses there is nasios or genesios or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But it's nasios is how you would say that <clears throat> according to YouTube. Genuinely, faithfully, sincerely is how Paul describes him. Timothy was the real deal. He was faithful. He was caring. He's the kind of people you want in your life. He wasn't fake. He risked his life for Paul. He risked his life to go check on new Christians, to go check on new churches when Paul could not go. And he did that out of a genuine love, just a good old boy, okay? I honestly think Timothy was a good balance for Paul because what we read about Paul, at times he could be a little brash, a little confrontational, like in your face. I mean, yeah, you have to. If, you, if I'm going to go to new places, they've never heard the name of Jesus and say, oh, by the way, your centuries of religion is all wrong, you've got to have some boldness in you. In Galatians chapter 2, it tells the story of this big, bold, brash Paul who confronted Peter, the same Peter that fished with Jesus, the same Peter that was there when Jesus was in the garden praying, the same Peter that was there when Jesus was ascended into heaven. Yes, Paul confronted that Peter because he thought some of his behavior was hypocritical. Timothy, the warrior, probably would have never been so in your face, probably certainly wouldn't have done it in front of other people. So Timothy's genuine faithfulness probably was a good companion, a good match for Paul. Something that I hear a lot these days about church. You know, the, the mega church, I mean, there's always been big churches, but the mega church popped up on the scene 30 years or so ago. Man, people that are seeking just want something that's genuine. Hey, Christians aren't perfect. Matter of fact, Hillspring is the perfect place for imperfect people. And so I'm just... People are just looking for something that's authentic. Same person that's at work that they are at church. Same person on Facebook that they are at home. And Timothy was that guy. He was genuine. The next uncommon characteristic is actually a concept you kind of have to extract. You have to pull it out of the verse because the verse doesn't say it directly. But I think when I read it, you'll see it. You'll get it. It's not like, oh, I don't know. That's kind of a stretch there. It's this. All the others, so he's writing about Timothy. I have no one like Timothy. And then he says, all the others care only for themselves. Well, Paul had a lot of friends. And all? Like Timothy's the only one? All the others care for themselves and not for what matters to Christ Jesus. So the second uncommon characteristic of he is Timothy is selfless. He's saying everybody else is selfish. But not Timothy. He was selfless. He left his home to travel with Paul, walked away from his inheritance, left his life to be by Paul's side in preaching or in prison. Timothy truly was selfless. And honestly, he's just living out what Jesus asked you and I to live out. I mean, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Jesus is asking you and I, to not be selfish, to take up our cross, 
follow him. Timothy gave of himself to serve Paul, to serve churches, to serve Christians, and in doing so, he was serving Jesus. It's unfortunate that this is unique. Think about it. It's unfortunate that this is an uncommon characteristic. Maybe that's why Jesus called his followers to deny themselves. But what if, what if today there's 2.38 billion people that profess to be Christians, they call themselves Christians. What if they actually lived out this principle of living selfless and denying themselves? What if the church really would seek first the kingdom, deny ourselves, love our neighbor? Personally, I believe that 2.38 billion would double rather quickly if we followed Christ in this denying oneself. Timothy was a great example of selfless of how you and I should be. Verse 22, you know, you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he served me in preaching the good news. I don't know if it popped off the page to you, but it, it did me. Timothy was proven. You can see it, number three, he was proven. In America, we want instant. We want instant influence. We want people to instantly trust us. And, and sometimes people will even be deceptive to gain that instant trust. Not even name drop. Oh, I know so-and-so. So I can borrow their influence so you will trust me. But to be proven, that takes time. To be proven takes patience. To be proven takes being told no and yet still be faithful. To be proven takes loyalty. To be proven means I have to endure some pain. I didn't get what I wanted when I wanted As a young man, oh, I wanted the opportunity. I wanted people to trust me. I wanted the big stage. I, the problem is I, I wasn't proven. And Timothy had to push through his frail health conditions. He had to push through his fear to face angry mobs, even prison time. And I think it's unfortunate, but I just don't think there's any other way around it, that proven only comes through pain. Pastor Craig Rochelle, obviously the pastor of Life Church, the big system here in Oklahoma and other states, I was at a conference one time and he said this. He said, the amount of anointing that you can carry on your life is directly related to the amount of pain you are willing to endure. And some of you today may find yourself in a deep, dark place of pain and frustration. And I'm telling you, God is using that place of pain to increase your capacity to hold his anointing and his work in your life. He's increasing your ability to do more for him. He's just making you proven. So don't quit. Don't run. Don't fear. Don't give up. Paul, in all of his writings, will honor and appreciate nearly 60 people, over five dozen people. But when it comes to Timothy, he says, I have no one like Timothy. That's it. Nothing moving here, no big, deep theological things to wrestle through and send you home and go fight about it. Nothing, nothing like that here. Nothing real life-changing. That's just simply the power of letting the text preach the text. So the last time I preached through Philippians, I didn't even circle here because it's just talking about Timothy. 
that's the importance of slowing down, letting the Bible teach itself. It'd have been so much easier to just skip this. But I think Timothy's life, his ministry, even his death prompts me to ask some questions about myself. Like, who's my Timothy? Whose life is better because I believe in them? There's this idea of, of one hand ahead, somebody's helping you, and then one hand behind. Who am I reaching behind? Everybody in the room, everybody in the room, you're at least one step ahead of somebody. And God wants to use that step to help that somebody. So who's your Timothy? Who are you reaching behind? Some of you, you may be decades ahead, and you still, God's placed you, your life is intersected with him. God's placing for you to reach behind and help them take their next step. Who can you call a true child of the faith? Don't know? Like nobody comes to mind? You don't have that? It's never too late to start. Never too late to pause. Take evaluation of the lives that God has intersected with your story, the people that God's brought into your life. And, and this is what I've discovered many times. When that Timothy, it's not a heavy sigh, I have to do this. No, 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 no. What I've discovered about the Timothys in my life is I get to do this. I want to do this. I have found those divine connections is that I don't have to, I, I get to. I desire to see that person grow because God has allowed me to see potential in their life. I desire to be around them probably more than they desire to be around me if we're being honest, right? Like their youth reminds me, it excites me. It gives me a hope for a better tomorrow. And maybe you don't know who your Timothy is because you haven't made space for it. Hear this, you have something that someone needs. Paul described Timothy as selfless. We will have to find that uncommon characteristic in ourselves of being selfless. To make space, to reach back, make a difference, help those who come behind. Who's, who's my Timothy? Second question. Who's my Paul? And have I thanked them? Had Thursday night had a fun yet amazing opportunity to uh, judge FFA speeches. My daughter's, she's in FFA and she's now giving these speeches and our school hosted an FFA competition. They were desperate judges and they asked me to judge. I'm like, is it really to this? Are you at the bottom of the barrel? And so I got to I got to judge FFA speeches. It was cool. I learned some things about hogs I didn't know. Um, and my daughter had already been in her room and, and done her speech. <clears throat> One second. Not the point. And uh, so I was just standing out in the hall with Kaylee. And Kaylee is, she's mini me. Like she's never met a stranger and she's the happiest person alive and there's people around that kind of energizes her. And so she's been going to these speech competitions and when we get home from these speech competitions, it's not I won first or didn't place or, or whatever. It's, oh my gosh, I met so-and-so from school. I met this person and I met that person. And then when she goes to the next speech competition, she's meeting more new people, but she's also connecting with her new best friends that she met at the last speech competition, right? And so she's standing there in the hallway. She comes up, I give her a big hug and she's like, oh my gosh. And, and she introduces me to a girl she had met at a previous speech conference. And uh, her name was Haley. Haley went to Sequoia High School. 
And she was just kind of nervous. She had already given one of her two speeches she was going to give that night. And so she's just kind of doing the pacing, <laughs> you know, and, and so she's getting ready. And so I just, Kaylee introduced me to her. So I'm like, well, Haley, what's next? She's a senior. She's like, um, oh, I'm going to go to OSU. I'm like, I knew you were a good kid. I could just tell you had the anointing on you, right? So we're going to do it at OSU. And she says, I want to get a degree in ag education. I'm an ag teacher. And that's great you crazy? Like, why? You know, like, why? You know what ag teachers do? Like, why ag education? And so as she was telling this story, from time to time, you could kind of tell emotion was kind of creeping into her story. And she began to talk about a former ag teacher. And she was raised by her mom. She didn't have a dad. And this former ag teacher just kind of stepped in and became that dad. And as a teacher, he believed in her. He saw potential in her. He kind of pushed her to tell the first time that she sat in her FFA class and he walked in and he said, just, she says, I don't know why he just picked me. He's like, I, I want you to do this and I want you to do this and, and I want you to do this. We've all had that. We've all had someone that sees potential in us that's gonna push us and we don't wanna do it and it's gonna stretch us, but, but they know it's for our better. Unfortunately, she went on to say his family demands had some small kids and so he needed to go do something else so he couldn't stay in the profession. And he talked about just how devastated she was when he wasn't gonna be her FFA teacher anymore. Haley, have you told her? Yeah. Said, yeah, I did. Said, have you thanked him for being that for you? We all have those someone who believed in us, saw potential in us, even though we didn't like it, they pushed us. I get it. We, we all have the best of intentions in our heart. But it's our schedules that get in the way that we don't make the time. Our hands never write the thank you note. Our lips are too nervous to find the words. So God kind of got me on this thing of late. Trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and I'm, I'm trying to encourage people that for some reason I just feel like he dropped them in my heart that I need to encourage them, and so I'll say, or just send them a text, hey, if you haven't heard it today, you're doing a really good job. And I would say that probably 50% of the time, I get a long response back that is like, you have no idea how much I needed to hear. Some have even confessed, hey, like that made me cry. I'm grateful. God kind of has me on this thing right now. I'm, I'm grateful he's prompting me to encourage certain people. But it also saddens me because it shouldn't be that way. I don't want to live in a world where all we hear is how bad we are. Because my mind already tells me I don't need any critics to jump in on what goes on between the ears. We don't, we don't need the world to point out our failures. We already know them well enough. We don't, we don't need the world to tell us that our best efforts are, are not enough. It's sad to discover our ever-connected social media world, right, has some very empty and negative consequences that have come along with it. So send a thank you card. Send a text. Buy the dinner, have the conversation. But more than that, 
Man, let their uncommon character inspire you to be more, to do more, to live more, to give more. Give back the way that they gave to you. Paul did his best to describe Timothy as selfless when all others were selfish. So dedicate this one. Give honor to the ones who've gone before you and reached back to you. Like Larry Moore. It's easy to say, I don't think Larry will ever know what he's done for me. So I'm on a mission that he will know. Because Larry stood up for me when I was young and dumb and lacking wisdom. Yet like Paul, he saw potential. And he fought for it. I think about Rick Taylor. Now Rick has to love me because I'm kinfolk. <laughs> Joke's on you, buddy. He's my father-in-law. 19 years ago, when my dad passed away, Rick just dropped the in-law part and he became dad. Pastor Joe, he came back. And that means nothing to most of you. But it means the absolute world to me. And Joe has this gift of pulling me away in the middle of a busy day to talk about fishing, OSU, and grandkids. And it may seem so simple to him, but it's refreshed my soul for years. For Charles Moore, who keeps me humble by falling asleep during my sermons. He's been a faithful friend for a long time. Now let's clarify, he has not taught me anything spiritual, right? <laughs> and then there's a list like Paul Taylor, Rick Hope, Wayne Sheriff, Rod Harris, Lester Orwig, Directly, indirectly, God has allowed them to speak into my life. And that list of names means nothing to most of you. But there was a season that each one of those guys were a Paul to me. So if I'm messed up, you can blame them, right? So who's your Paul? Who's your Paul? But do they know it? Have you thanked them? In Paul's letters and his writings, he will appreciate, commend, and thank over five dozen people for their faith, for their help, for their encouragement. But in Philippians chapter two, verse 20, he says, I have no one like Timothy. His uncommon character made him one of a kind. So in a world full of selfish people, be a Timothy. In a world full of negative people, be a Timothy. In a world full of arrogance, be a Timothy. In a world full of excuse makers, quitters, unproven people, be a Timothy. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.